I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. This talk is entitled, The Practice of Forgetting Words. A poem by Rumi, The Arrival. What shall we call the presence that arrives? Beloved, friend, pride and joy, love thief, gratitude, patience. I have no patience anymore. Go away, you names and mental formations. A new shape has come that flies our flag upside down. The form no door lets in. Rather, the walls around us fall outward. Floor and roof, too, drop away. Floor and roof to drop away. And new shape has come that flies our flag upside down. The form no door lets in. Rather, the walls around us fall outward. Floor and roof to drop away. Book of Serenity, Case 2, Bodhidharma's Emptiness. So sometimes when we read a koan, we read it right from the book. And other times the koan is more like a story anyway. So I'm going to tell it like a story. Bodhidharma is um, considered the founder of Zen Buddhism, brought Zen Buddhism to China from India said that Bodhidharma's teacher was a woman, Prajnatara, great yogini teacher in India. This is around the time that Buddhism was uh, fading away from India, and there were few true lineages of Buddhism left. And Bodhidharma's teacher, Prajnatara, told him to go to China and bring the Dharma to China, and it will flourish there. So Bodhidharma arrived in China from India, and he was given an audience with Emperor Wu, the great Buddhist emperor of the time. Emperor Wu considered himself to be a very good practitioner. He built many temples, stupas, supported monks and nuns in ordination ceremonies. He was very instrumental in the cultural formation of Buddhism in China at that time. So when Bodhidharma arrived in southern China, he was granted an audience with Emperor Wu, perhaps the legend of this monk it said he had a red beard, and he's a lineage holder of one of the last remaining schools of Indian Buddhism, who traveled for three years with explicit orders from his teacher to bring the authentic teachings to China. So perhaps Emperor Wu caught wind of this person, 
and it struck an interest. Or perhaps it was just formality. As a Buddhist emperor, he made a point of honoring the Buddhist monks and teachers when they arrived from wherever they arrived from. Perhaps the emperor was even sizing him up to see if he was worthy of being his personal teacher or a teacher in the court, someone for whom maybe he would build another monastery and offer financial backing, another lineage from India now coming to to China. We don't know much from their interaction, which is good, because what is preserved is quite potent. The emperor begins by telling Bodhidharma of his work, his love of Buddhism, that he himself is a Buddhist, that he has supported many monasteries and has oversaw many order ordinations. And then he asks Bodhidharma, what merit have I earned from all of this? And Bodhidharma replies, no merit. The emperor's emotional response is not recorded. <laughs> Maybe we can imagine. <laughs> Perhaps he's taken aback, hurt, dismissed. Like all of his efforts were suddenly just pushed aside in a single word, no. No. But he continues, being a person of royalty, he asks, well, then what are the highest meaning? What is the highest meaning of the holy truths? You know, summed up in that question, please, sir, if my life's work has not brought a single merit, then please teach me the deep dharma that you know. Give it to me. Help me understand so I can correct my error. I want to possess this knowledge that you seem to have that none of the other teachers are talking about. Bodhidharma responds, what is the highest meaning of the holy truths? Bodhidharma responds, vast emptiness, vast emptiness, nothing holy. Vast emptiness, nothing holy. Again, it isn't clear what the emperor's reaction is through the record, but he does ask a third question. This time, a little more honest, a little more intimate. He asks the simple yet profound question of Bodhidharma. He asks, well, who are you then? Who are you really? And Bodhidharma replies, I don't know. And with that, Bodhidharma heads north up the Yangtze River following his teacher's guidance, which is, was to go north. He finds a cave hermitage in close proximity to Shaolin Monastery and spends nine years in retreat it's recorded facing a wall, practicing zazen. So this story has elements of being an origin story, the origin story of Zen, 
So it's filled with that archetypal imagery of the Zen school, sitting long and getting tired, which we emulate in Sashin. Embodied in Bodhidharma's nine years of facing the wall, that in itself is its own koan, one that I leave you with to ponder. What was Bodhidharma doing those nine years facing a wall if he'd already received authorization to teach, already had realization of the nature of mind? It's said after Bodhidharma was well on his way, the emperor, deeply impacted from the interaction, brought the exchange to one of his advisors, Duke Zhur. The advisor asked, Your Majesty, do you know who that Indian sage was? No, I don't, said the emperor. That was Avalokiteshvara, the bodhisattva of compassion, carrying the seal of the Buddha's heart and mind. The emperor felt a deep sense of regret and said, send a message, call him back. Dugzhir told him, your majesty, even if everyone in the kingdom went after him, he would not return. The emperor said, I met him, but I didn't meet him. And apparently these words were eventually put on his grave. I met him, but I didn't meet him. So I'd like to explore together the first part of this story. This story contains additional archetypal imagery. It shows us the relationship between the seeker and the seen, the small self, and emptiness. The emperor so beautifully embodies the role of the seeker, the ego, the ruler of this house, this body-mind, the part of us that wants to do it right, to do it good, to do it best, to have the right practice, the best setting, the right clothes, to know the forms and the rules, the methods, the one who reads the books and listens to the podcasts. Look at me. Look at me. What do I get for all my efforts? I'm trying so hard here to get it right. Look at all I know. Look at all I've accomplished. And a little deeper, that same state of mind wants the right state of mind. (laughs) The best state of mind wants to claim enlightenment for oneself, is practicing to be better, best, the most enlightened, who wants to write the best books and start its own YouTube channel to guide all beings to awakening. I stayed up until midnight. Where's the merit? I've done three years worth now of Sashin, What do I have to show for it? Bodhidharma tells us, the seeker, 
the emperor. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. The one who is seeking will never get what it thinks it wants. Your virtue and aspirations are beautiful, but you're missing the point. I'm a little too grandmotherly, so I added that. He just said no. <laughs> you, are, you will never feel complete that part of you that thinks it's separate. It will always try for more, more, more. It's the epitome of the belief, I'm not good enough, or any of those beliefs of separation. This isn't about you, the doer, the seeker, the small s self. The treasure you seek is already within you. You are already complete. You are part of this universe, which is whole and complete. No experience will satisfy this voice that wants it. For all experiences are fleeting. You can't hold on to anything. Because the you that is appearing in all its glory, the emperor, the ego, the small as self, you don't really exist in the way that you think you do. Look back at the one, the I, the sense of self-consciousness, and see what happens. Right now, summon the, maybe perhaps you feel it, the summon the sense of I am sitting here. I am listening to this talk. I am thinking, I am not practicing hard enough. And then look back at that sense, that self-sense. Does it slip away? Does it retreat? Does it sink back into space? Sink into rest in that space, the absence, the absence that you are. When the thoughts of separation, of wanting, of needing something else, of looking outside, of blame, of shame arise, let them arise in space. Let them pass through like flashing fish swimming through this vast ocean of being. Nothing is in opposition, no merit. The ego is never satisfied with no. It wants to know, to get to be right. So what is the deepest meaning of the holy truths? Vast emptiness, no thing holy. Vast emptiness. This is the foundation of 
the Zen school. This is the foundation of all of us. Vast emptiness, Rumi calls it the unsayable absence. Well then, who are you? Who are you? Who is it that is aware of these words? Who is aware of those thoughts that feels these sensations coursing through your body? Who is it who's aware of your knee pain and my words simultaneously? Who is effortlessly breathing, hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, experiencing, all right now, all right now? Who is it? I don't know. Look at this I thought. Turn awareness back and become aware of the one who is listening to these words. Hear the hearer. Look back at the looker. Who's there? If you find nothing, not finding, they say, in the Tibetan tradition, is the supreme finding. We make this assumption that someone is doing this life. We use the thoughts that arise in our minds as proof. Other people seem in on it. Yet, what happens when you look? What happens when you turn awareness back on itself? Not finding is the supreme finding. We make so many assumptions about ourselves and the world, about other people, practice, what is good, what is not. In Sashin, we get to begin to see things as they really are. Instead of our ideas about them, usually, and this is an analogy from Byron Katie, usually we post sticky notes on everything. We think people are judging us. We don't really look at something and we already have 10 different opinions about it. Oh, it shouldn't be that way. It should be this way. We don't read a whole email and we start reacting. I do that. We haven't even said a word to somebody. And maybe this ha- has happened during Sashin. We haven't even said a word to someone. And already we have a whole story about who they are, what they're like, why we would never be friends, or perhaps why we're perfect for each other, <laughs> if you know what I mean. We put people in boxes based on what they look like, sound like, what they make us think of. It has nothing to do with them. And in Sashin, we sit still. 
we concentrate the attention in the present moment and the sticky notes start to fall off and we see reality more as it really is instead of our ideas about it, our projections, our assumptions about it. Wow, I never realized this floor was so beautiful, so golden. Or did you see those pink fuchsia out front? They're so pink. I never f- knew food could taste so good. We start seeing rooms in the monastery fresh. I notice during Sashin, I start taking care of things better. Like I'm more kind to the kitchen rags. They feel really good to touch. Not knowing is most intimate. Not knowing is most intimate. Not knowing is seeing without our sticky notes, without the knower, the judge, the critic. We see, feel, experience unfiltered, awareness just functioning freely. And in that, there is beauty. There's a spontaneity to life. Hongzhir says, silent and serene, forgetting words, bright clarity appears before you, When you reflect it, you become vast. Where you embody it, you are spiritually uplifted. Yesterday, during the Dharma talk, Hogan Roshi invited us to open our awareness to this space in the room. Whether you're at home or in the Zendo, notice you can do this. Normally, we are aware of the objects in a room, person, shirt, cushion, floor, light, camera, sounds, voice, bell. The mind's attention tends to go from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. Thing thought, thing thought, thing thought. Yet we can also be aware of space. And in a way, it's like relaxing back taking in the whole picture, letting the eyes relax, seeing the space that's actually supporting our ability to differentiate between bodies and objects. We're always seeing space, the absence of form. We can also feel space. And we're doing that all the time. But notice, can you be aware of the felt sense of space above the body, above the head? What about behind the body? To the left, to the right. all around the body at once. Mm -hmm. 
It might take some practice, but it's possible to feel the space surrounding the body. There is space surrounding the body. You're not rubbing up against things. Space allows the body to move. We are surrounded by space. Open the eyes and look at space. Perhaps look up. Let the gaze be soft and wide angle. Relax the effort to see space and simply take it in, receive space. When you're aware of the space in the room, your awareness is mingling with the space in the room. Your awareness is infused with space. The space in the room is infused with your awareness. There can be this idea that I am aware here, behind the eyes or I am aware here in the head or I'm aware here be in the whole body and I'm projecting this awareness out into the space in the room yet awareness and the space in the room are already interfused the moment you become aware of the space in the room the moment you become aware of anything your awareness, awareness, and that thing are one thing. So you let awareness, let yourself become aware of the space in the room. And in a way, the room is now your mind. Your mind is filling the space of the room. All of this is happening in your mind. Awareness. Anything you are aware of within that space is included in awareness. We say it all the time, awareness is all-inclusive. Anything you're aware of is awareness, is interfused with awareness, is not separate from your life, is not outside of your mind. All of us are happening in your mind. The practice of silent illumination, natural awakening, is sometimes referred to as open awareness. Awareness is already open. We've been working with gathering awareness and focusing on one aspect of present moment experience, hands, hands, breath, body. Yet all of you have noticed that as we do that, the other senses are still happening. Awareness is happening as feelings, thoughts, smells, tastes, touch, sounds, sights. Even if we concentrate deeply 
on the breath and there's a sense of not being so aware of the thinking mind or quiet in the thinking mind, not being so aware of physical sensations in the body or the room. The bell rings for Kinhin, usually we hear it. And we get up and the body is there. So awareness is happening through the senses. And practicing concentration, we hone awareness in a particular sense, but all the other senses are still happening. In practicing concentration, we are making the mind more serviceable. I'm um, noticing I'm borrowing a lot of phrases from Dan Brown. He taught a couple of retreats here on concentration and may have been the most just explicit teachings I've ever received on concentration. So they've made a very big imprint and I continue to go back to them in my own practice. So he uses that phrase, making the mind more serviceable. He also uses the analogy of the mind often or awareness often being like a two-year-old with a flashlight. And so we imagine a two-year-old has a flashlight and they're just kind of using it, not quite knowing exactly how to use it, but it's fun. You shine it up there and then you get a bright spot and then you shine it there and you get a bright spot and then you shine it there and you get a bright spot. And, and, and that's how our relationship often is with our minds. It's experienced as this kind of moving of the flashlight, like we're aware of of a, a sight and then we're aware of a thought and then we're aware of a person and then we're aware of a sound and then we're aware of a thought and then we're aware of body sensation and it just kind of is going all over the place just flashing in flashing in and we like make snap judgments based on that flash it's like oh don't like that don't like that like that so as we all have experienced, we've been studying that flashlight through gathering attention and placing attention in the hands, in the breath, in body sensations. And so the light of awareness is becoming more serviceable. It's more functioning <laughs> like it is meant to. So we study that gaze of awareness. And so instead of the flashlight blinking in and out and shining all over the place, we put that light in the hands of a steady caretaker who holds the light in the hands, the breath, the body. And through that, we stabilize the light of attention. And as the light of attention stabilizes, the space of awareness seems to open or is revealed. It's like placing the flashlight on the floor upright in a room and suddenly the whole room is illuminated. And if we take this analogy a little further and imagine placing that upright flashlight of awareness at the base of the body of a hollow doll, the entire cavity of the body of the doll is illuminated. And the light shines out freely through all of the senses. It's like a hollow doll with just all this face. Holes for eyes, holes for ears, holes for nose, holes for mouth. 
That's another analogy from the Tibetan tradition. And you place that light of awareness in, and it's just functioning freely through all of the senses, illuminating the whole body, illuminating all of the senses, illuminating the whole world. People have begun to realize that they can feel the hands and breath simultaneously. Whereas before, earlier in Sashin, it might have been feeling the hands and then breath, and then hands and then breath, and then thought, and then hands. And it, it felt like the mind was kind of going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But as we relax into awareness, hands and breath can be experienced simultaneously. So similarly, and we can try this together, feel the hands. And notice you can be aware of the physical sensations of the hands, pressure, temperature, movement, and the subtle body sensations of the hands, tingling, liveliness. Now relax awareness. And it's okay to close your eyes here. Relax awareness and feel the whole body at once as tingling liveliness. Tingling aliveness. Shimmering aliveness. And so the body becomes a little less specific. And you can do it a little more systematically. Move from hands to arms, to neck, to head, the chest and upper back, torso, abdomen, seat, legs, feet. And just relax into awareness, relax into that sense of tingling aliveness and feel the whole body. It doesn't have to be perfectly filled in, but just feel that sense of tingling aliveness moving through the whole body, flickering in and out. Now see if you can relax awareness a little more and tune into the space within the body. The space between or behind sensations. It may be helpful to have your eyes closed now and see the darkness, maybe a shimmering darkness behind the eyelids. And feeling the whole body, feeling that darkness, sink in to the space below sensations. Sink into the darkness of the body, the space of the body. 
a dark cavern of the body. And as you're aware of space, this isn't negating any physical sensations that might also be present. See, feel, experience. Space is more fundamental. The ground of being. Vast emptiness. The space allows the sensations of what we call the body to arise, to exist, to disappear. You could say the space hosts the sensations of the body. Open the eyes, still connected to the space in the body. Become aware of the space in the room. Let the space of the body merge into the space of the room. It's one seamless space. Of course, the sensations of the body are still present, feel them as arising within the space of the room. Let your awareness rest in the space. The space hosting all sensations. Be the space. And notice the space in the room is not agitated. You may be experiencing feelings of agitation, but notice the space in the room is not agitated. The one hosting The sensations is not agitated. The space in the room is not judging your practice. The space in the room simply is open, spacious, present. It is absent of restlessness, of judgment, of opinions, of words. We can call this absence of restlessness, of judgment, of opinions, of words, silence, or serenity. We 
When we become aware of the space in the room, our awareness fills the room. We become vast. This is your mind. And if there's a sense of the eye beaming awareness into the room, see if you can allow awareness to mix in the space of the room so that it's one seamless awareness space. Imagine the room is looking back at you. So the sense of I is arising in awareness space. As are the physical sensations of body, face, eyes, head. Arising in awareness space. Relax into the space of awareness. Relax into the mystery of what you are. The unsayable absence. And let the creativity of the universe experience as thought, as feeling, sensation, sound, dance through you. This is your life, all of it is your life. And then, of course, at times, the space seems to collapse. A particular thought, a particular sensation grabs attention and we retract, get pulled. It's important to maintain your concentration practice so you know what to come back to. Staying grounded in the body, feeling the hands, feeling the breath. For the moment, letting go of that meditation. Sri Nirsirgadatta Maharaj says, Wisdom tells me I am nothing. 
Love tells me I am everything. Between the two, my life flows. Who are you? Who are you? Can we be comfortable with not knowing? Not needing to have a clever answer, but looking and then sinking back into the space, the mystery that we are. The unsayable absence. The boundless creativity. The spontaneity of the universe. Thank mm-hmm. you.